Welcome back to the 22nd episode of the Daily Flip Podcast. I'm your host, Alex, and today we're going to be going through a whole bunch of stories about inflation in the economy right now and whether or not the corporations are paying their fair share. And yes, I'm aware that is a very hot topic right now, and it is also very weighted when I say it. So make sure that you listen to the entire thing, because there are lots of diverse opinions here today. And of course, we will end with the Daily Delight, a story meant to leave you feeling positive and ready to take on the day. Now that's enough rambling from me. Let's get into our daily debate. So was Occupy Wall Street a righteous movement? For those of you that don't know, Occupy Wall Street was a protest movement that happened in 2010, I believe. Um, and they were protesting the, the bailouts that these big Wall Street banks got from the U.S. government after the 2008 financial crisis. So were the protesters fighting for a, a, the common American, or were they just looking for something to blame and be mad at? I think it's an interesting question. I would love to hear your opinions down below. Normally I ask, oh, well, you can put other information about you. It's not pertinent today. Uh, just do you agree with the Occupy movement? Or were they just a whole bunch of young kids who are idealistic and naive and wanting to protest about something? Put your thoughts down in the comments below. Now let's get into the first story. This one comes from Common Dreams. Raise corporate tax rates not interest rates, to protect working families. So this one, the author begins by describing the state of a post-pandemic economy. They're talking about our economy right now, coming out of a time where we're having supply chain issues, where inflation is rampant because the government was spending so much during those years of COVID. And they start with, quote, the New York Times recently pointed to car dealerships as an example of a trend has defined the pandemic era. With high demand and new cars in short supply, dealerships have gotten used to charging higher prices and making record profits at the expense of consumers. And they are unlikely to bring down those prices on their own. But car dealerships are far from the only offenders. As inflation soared, CEOs across every sector announced new, quote, pricing strategies and took to earnings calls to brag about their record profits. And despite the slowing of inflation and the easing of supply chain issues, big corporations are keeping prices high and padding their profits. So she has a point, and she gives a few really important examples here. So we have General Mills. They increased their earnings uh, by 31%. So that you know that that's pretty impressive, thirty-one percent. Uh, then we have Darden Restaurants net sales increase from I believe it was like eight hundred million to two point four billion, and then AutoZone had a net income increase of eight hundred and ten million. So you can see the trend here. There are increases in net income, and though they are using different metrics here, the trend line is at the end of the day the book, the accounting sheets for these companies is saying that they are making more money. 
And I would say we have to take a step back and maybe look at it a little bit more intently because the author argues that these corporations and the CEOs are experiencing the benefit of this, this profit growth and they're not really sharing it. They're not passing it on to the employees. And, you know, there's good evidence for her opinion and there's also some counter evidence. I'll, I'll start with the counter evidence. In 2021, AutoZone opened 17 new stores in the, just in the first quarter. So, you know, coming out of a pandemic economy, they actually boosted the amount of jobs they have. They didn't lay anybody off. And I know that's not necessarily passing those benefits directly to the employees in that, okay, we can raise your wages a little bit, but they're using some of those profits to expand, create more jobs in the market, and also expand overseas. And, you know, they started, I believe, one, uh, two in Mexico and one in Brazil. So you can see here that these profits are at least helping job growth because that means the other 15 were here in America. So, uh, you know, the CEO may have got a, a pay raise, but at the end of the day, they're expanding. They're creating more jobs here in America. Uh, and there were no corporate layoffs whatsoever in 2022, which is a good thing to see. You know, if they were really taking advantage of these profit increases, then they would be laying off employees so the few employees at stay can feel those benefits and those higher profits even more. But on the other end of the spectrum, we have General Mills. And in this year, they laid off nearly 70% of their workforce. And it that's, you know, a staggering amount of their workforce, and they're currently trying to restructure it. So when she says that these corporations are taking advantage of these rises, I think she needs to be a little bit more nuanced and say some are, some aren't, and we can directly approach the ones that are and ask them why. So the next quote, over the past several months, the Federal Reserve has taken drastic measures in an attempt to curve inflation, but rate hikes carry tremendous downside and won't address the key cause of recent inflation. Instead of just relying on Fed officials who have made it clear that they will drive the economy into recession to get inflation down, policymakers should attack the problem head on in a way that protects working Americans' jobs. Big corporations and the Republicans who enable them must be held accountable for their, quote, price gouging. So, and the Democrats, that was the end of the quote, by the way, the Democrats have introduced legislation to stop corporations from price gouging. The Price Gouging Act, a few different pieces of legislation meant to attack, or that's a strong word, I'll take a step back, in order to force these corporations to spread their profits among their employees more, or if they don't increase the tax rate that these corporations are paying so that the government can get a bigger piece of that pie. So the author is practically blaming these price increases across the board on greedy corporations that want to take advantage of their consumers because, okay, prices are increasing to produce certain things, so we can increase our prices on the back end, and then, okay, we can take that money, and we can run with it. But the author really is leaving out something that is really important, and it doesn't allow us to have a full view of this conversation, which is inflation does not just affect 
consumers. It does not just affect consumer prices. It also affects producer prices. What she's looking at here are just raw metrics. She's looking at profit, net profit. Um, And when you just look at those metrics and you don't say, okay, net profit adjusted for inflation. Because if you look at just net profit, you could go back to the time that Rockefeller had a monopoly on the oil industry and say, oh, he wasn't making that much money. It was only a a couple million. But factor in inflation, he's making more than some of the biggest corporations are today. So these rises in profit, especially in a time when we have extremely high inflation, are not equatable. You can't say, oh, well, look at what they made two years ago. Look at how much more money they're making now. That money that they have has less buying power. They can buy less inputs into their process. So General Mills was paying $100,000 for cornflakes last year for one plant. Now they could be spending $200,000 for those same cornflakes that they need to put into their cereal. So remember that. It is not just consumers that get hit by inflation. And the reason that the prices on the consumer side go up is because the producers have to translate those costs to the product. Otherwise, they will stop producing them. So she she makes some good points that there are certain companies that aren't you know, spreading the wealth to their uh, workers. They're laying them off like General Mills. And she didn't even mention that. I had to go outside the article to get that information because she doesn't provide it anywhere. So... I just think you need to have a balanced approach when you're looking at some of these articles. It obviously has a bias, and I'm not blaming her for having one. She wants a certain she wants higher tax rates, which could be beneficial in some people's eyes, because if you want to decrease the deficit, then you have to have more money for the government to spend. And since they're putting through all these inflation acts and all these big spending bills, you have to have more taxes in order to fund that. So if she wants to take that approach and she wants to argue for that, Great. But just saying that is corporate greed is a little bit irresponsible, in my opinion. And I don't think it leads to a constructive conversation on what is happening in the economy and how we should address certain issues. The next article I have is from the Wall Street Journal, and I think it takes a more balanced approach to this conversation. Price increases come easy for big business, but inflation still squeezes profits. So this article, it appears that everything is, you know, not quite as the author said in the last article. And they start with, quote, many big U.S. businesses say that they've been able to increase prices this year with limited pushback from customers. Not all the changes are leading to higher corporate profits, though. Furniture maker Micker Knoll, Inc., an Olive Garden operator, Darden Restaurants, which we mentioned in the last article, say inflation continues to eat into their profits as their costs are rising faster than their price increases. Inflation in the U.S. economy has been running at a near four-decade high, prompting the Federal Reserve to raise interest rates in a bid to bring it under control. Prices are rising unevenly across the economy. Consumer prices rose 8.3% in August from a year earlier, while producer prices rose 8.7%. government data shows, end quote. So the essential takeaway here is these producers are having to pay more money and they have to therefore pass that cost onto the consumer. But if you notice here, on average, 
the producer uh, percent of increase is 8.7, and the consumer is 8.3. So that means on average, companies are eating about 0.4% of those increases in order to keep prices a tad bit lower for their customer. And yes, I know, it's 0.4%. That is not a crazy amount. But it still shows that they're not greedy corporations across the whole board. They're not greedy corporations that are just taking advantages of their consumers. Because in that case, you know, you might see a 10% consumer price increase. And the reason that this is very important economically is you can't just be a a greedy corporation who increases their prices outright. Because then people will not buy your product. If you raise your prices too quickly, if you take a all-in approach, then consumers are going to say, no, I I don't need that General Mills cereal this week. I'm going to get the the bargain brand that hasn't raised their prices. Especially in the restaurant industry where there are so many substitutes like Olive Garden and uh, Darden restaurants, you know, they, they can't raise their prices extremely quickly and they can't do it in a startling way because consumers will just go to a different restaurant chain they'll go to mcdonald's because it's just outright cheaper so remember in economics there's supply and demand and just because the demand is high doesn't mean they get to say have whatever price they want eventually eventually the supply will catch up to the demand and then we'll reach a point of equilibrium. And if restaurants overshoot that point of equilibrium, if they overshoot that price that consumers are willing to pay at that time, then they're going to lose more money than if they just settle, they subtly increased it and stayed just cl- close enough to the overall rises in their production cost. But there are nuggets of truth in what the last author said, and I think there's a great quote that really emphasizes that, talking about their profit margins for some of the different companies. Quote, corporate profit margins, the difference between expenses and revenue, reached historically high levels in recent quarters, helped by strong consumer demand for a range of goods and services. But as more companies prepare to report third quarter results, there are signs that profits might be under pressure at least relatively speaking. Excluding the volatile energy market, analysts expect third quarter earnings to decline 2.6% from the third quarter of 2022. So, and I think that's an interesting point here. As we've been coming out of a pandemic economy and came into a post-pandemic economy, people have a lot of money. They have money saved up from their stimulus checks and they know that, okay, inflation's going to rise, or at least any person that, you know, was a little bit tuned in understood that, okay, we're going we're gonna to have a lot of inflation because there's a lot of money out there in the market. There's a lot of new bills. So those people went out to spend their money as soon as possible so that they could get as much for their money as possible. Because as inflation goes up, your buying power goes down. That $1 you have now, in a theoretical sense, is only worth 90 cents now after a year because with more money in the economy and more bills out there and more people buying those same products companies can raise their prices meaning that same dollar that you had cannot purchase the same amount of goods that it could before so with that rush to buy all these products before inflation got too bad it actually exacerbated inflation but Since it was a surge, it actually helped these corporates 
entities with their profit margins there for a little bit. And, you know, as time has caught up with them, though, as we're coming into this new quarter where inflation is still rampant, people are not buying as much because inflation is so high and the Fed is increasing interest rates. You're starting to see a slowdown in a lot of these different corporate sectors, a decline of nearly 2.6% from the third quarter of 2020. I mean, that, you know, that's not negligible. That's a, a good amount of decline in comparison to 2020. So you have to keep that in mind as well going forward, that just because the last few years have looked really, really good for them, or even though maybe not the best for them, but their profit margins have been rising, that it's not sustainable long term. And they're going to get hit hard in these next few quarters, especially with inflation still being as high as it is while the Fed is trying to tackle it. And kind of going back to that that demand side uh, and supply conversation. I know I'm talking a lot of economics today. I get it. If you don't like economics or you at least don't understand everything I'm saying, I am sorry. But there's a question here that I think will kind of make it easier to understand. If the demand for a product is there, are companies meant to maintain that same price? If everybody really wants those frosted flakes, those delicious frosted flakes, no, this is not a paid advertisement. (laughs) If everybody wants the frosted flakes and stores are constantly running out of frosted flakes, then do those companies ignore that and say, oh, no, no, we'll we'll keep the same price. You know, we're selling out of it everywhere, so we'll, we'll keep the same price. I don't, that doesn't make any sense. Why wouldn't they at least try to raise their prices? So then, as consumers come back, they say, oh, well, it's a little bit more expensive this time, but I'll I'll still buy it. And eventually, they'll keep doing this until they reach that point of equilibrium, like I was speaking about earlier. And when you hit that point of equilibrium, you have the price that consumers are willing to pay, the, the most amount of consumers are willing to pay, And also, on the supply side, you have the highest amount of product that the company is willing and able to produce at that price. So why would they not, when demand is high, increase prices? That's the nature of business. If you see an opportunity, oh, people really want this product, it's going to cost us a little bit more money to produce more. Okay, well, we should produce a little bit more and then increase the price so we can reap the benefits of that demand. So the last author really doesn't take that into account. They're not looking at the the demand and supply side of the uh, equation. They're just looking at, okay, the profits are this, and therefore they're not passing along to their workers. That means they are a greedy corporation. Rather than saying, what, oh, we're supposed to give up profits? We're supposed to not, you know, do our fiduciary duty to our shareholders and make more profits for them and grow our market share and grow the amount of money that we make for our stakeholders? That, that's not how it works, unfortunately. I, I know we, she may be even make a, be making an attack on the, the capitalist system that we put profits before people. But at the end of the day, if General Mills... Actually, General Mills is a bad example because they laid off those people. But we'll look at AutoZone. If AutoZone is able to grow its market share and then expand its company, it can offer more jobs in different locations. It can provide a service 
that is convenient for consumers and therefore add value to their lives. So at the end of the day, it's a giant value equation, not just a profit equation. And that's the beauty of economics. It doesn't just look at money. It also looks at the perceived value that these goods in our economy bring to people and consumers. And that's a very important aspect of it. So enough rambling. Let's get back on track. There's one more, two more quotes, actually, that I really want to bring up, bring up here. Uh, quote, higher prices added about 3.3 percentage points to gross margin, but higher commodity prices reduced that by 2.4 percentage points. Transportation paired about 0.9 percentage points in labor inflation and rising overhead reduced it by another 0.7, exec- executives said. Miller Knoll said that it has announced its last price increase, averaging 8%, taking effect in October. The company is also seeking to reduce cost by $30 million to $35 million by offering early retirement to employees and reducing operational and capital spending, among other steps. So if you notice here that, oh, well, look, their, their gross profit margin went up by... 3.3%, that, that's a lot. But then you take out the 2.4. So what, now we're sitting at 0.9? Then you take out the 0.9 for transportation. And then you take out another 0.7 for overhead and inflation. So then you're looking at a negative profit margin. So the way that co- these companies address this is by reducing their costs so that they can stop increasing their prices. And you can see this is the corporate strategy that Miller Knoll is trying to implement here. And see, I think this is a socially responsible way to go about doing that as well. They're not saying we're going to outright fire our employees. We're going to offer them early retirement packages, and we're going to try to reduce operational capital spending. So they're going to try to streamline their process, basically. So I think this is a great example of between AutoZone, who can continually expand, and General Mills, who is laying off employees while they're getting higher profits, even though they're not adjusted for inflation. And they're kind of taking a middle ground, saying we're going to stop the increases and you know we're still going to cut back on costs, but we're not going to outright fire people. We're, we're going to make sure that our employees are taken care of. And I think that's a good middle-of-the-ground solution. And the reason I pulled up this article, like I said at the beginning, is to give a contrast to that first article. I'm not saying that the first author, that she is always wrong, that she is outright wrong about some of the things she's discussing. I'm just saying that it is a much more complex conversation. And there are millions of corporations that are doing it right, and there are probably millions more that are doing it wrong. But not all companies have been hit so hard overall, quote, Elsewhere, company margins have widened with price increases. Gravel company Vulcan Materials told investors late last month that it responded quickly to rising costs earlier in the year, in part by increasing prices, end quote. So, as I said, it is a very diverse market out there, and everybody has different corporate strategies, and it appears that Vulcan responded ahead of time. You also have to remember that there are a a gravel company. They're a materials company. So they're not selling directly to consumers. They're actually selling to other producers for the most part, meaning that they can increase their prices 
and then pass it along to other producers. And then those producers can spread out the cost of the material and they still have to raise their prices for consumers, but not as much if the Vulcan company was selling directly to the consumers. So that's also uh, an example of how, you know, the supply chain is a big part of this inflation issue because the companies that are providing the materials that allow certain companies, like in this case, it would probably be concrete producing companies or precast companies. They have to increase their prices because their material inputs are getting more expensive. But the nice thing is because they are probably not just using gravel for one barrier when they buy it from Vulcan, they can spread that crop cost across multiple products and therefore only have a small price increase when they're selling to the end consumer. Okay, I know I've talked a lot, a lot of economics in these last two, and if you don't like it, I am extremely sorry, but it's a very complex issue, like I've been saying, that needs to be addressed. This last one is a little bit more political in nature. It still addresses inflation in California, but the Californian uh, Energy Commission kind of got more than they bargained for when they called out uh, Valero, the oil company, and they got a scathing letter. This one letter. This one comes from the Washington Examiner. California's green bureaucracy, not a weighted term there at all, definitely not, gets the verbal smackdown it deserves. So Gavin Newsom has called out oil companies on Thursday for increases in gas prices in California. Quote, he wrote, on October 6th, crude oil prices are down, and yet gas prices are up. That's because greedy oil companies are ripping you off. They're raking in record profits at your expense, end quote. Just as a note, since then, oil prices have increased by 16%, which is higher than it was in August. Quote, California is known for having the nation's highest gasoline prices, currently far above all other states at $6.33 per gallon, in part because it requires unique gasoline blends under state law that purport to limit pollution. That adds a lot of expense, but even that isn't the only issue. As a top executive from Valero, the oil refining and fuel supply company, pointed out in a brutal letter to state officials days before Newsom's tweet. So they called out Valero, or they called out the oil companies in a tweet, and the oil company Valero was not having it. And, you know, they sell a large amount of product in California. They're one of the larger suppliers. And Scott Forwardno, I believe is how you pronounce his name, had some really choice words for Newsom. I mean, I, I read through this this letter, and they take certain expert excerpts out of it, but I read the whole thing, and I was like, okay, wow, this, this guy is not happy with the way Newsom's trying to portray them in the news or on Twitter. The California And the California Energy Commission has also been coming for him. For Valero, ca- quote, For Valero, California is the most expensive operating environment in the country and a very hostile regulatory environment for refining, wrote Folk Warno. Quote, California policymakers have knowingly adopted policies with the expressed intent of eliminating the refinery sector. California requires refiners to pay very high carbon cap in trade fees and burden gasoline with the cost of low-carbon fuel standards. 
With the backdrop of these policies, not surprisingly, California has seen refineries completely close or shut down major units. When you shut down refinery options, you are limiting the resilience of the supply chain. And he, the quote does go on here, but he makes a, a, really, a really great point. When their regulations come in too strong and then they complain about these companies you know, trying to price gouge and being greedy, it, it, it falls on deaf ears. Now, if they weren't regulating them so hard and these corporations were being really, really greedy, yes, I 100% agree with Newsom. That would be terrible. They are taking advantage of these this high inflation and they're taking advantage of Californians. But California over the last two years has made a heavy transition towards green energy. And you can see the effects of it now. They, they are trying to shut down certain industries. They're coming in really hard with regulation. And then it started to cost them. Now they're seeing $6, like it said, $6.33 at the pump. And the only th- people that the the only people that the citizens of California can blame are the government officials that they put into office. And by extension, they can only really blame themselves if they put those Democratic officers in to the state government. So it's just, uh, it falls on deaf ears when Gavin Newsom's tweeting out that, oh, it's the, the company, the oil companies that are being mean and they're trying to be greedy they're trying to hoard all their money like come on i don't think anybody who actually knows what's going on in california and pays attention truly believes that it is just the corporation's fault quote if that wasn't brutal enough the last paragraph was absolutely scathing we believe the commission experts understand that california cannot mandate a unique fuel that is not readily available outside of the West Coast, and then burden or eliminate California refining capacity and expect to have robust fuel supplies. So California, you know, it's currently heavily reliant on importing energy from other states. And, you know, their electrical grid is having heavy, heavy, uh, is being heavily reliant on the new green energies that they've put so much money into. But as this last quote points out, quote, California is the only state in the country to suffer from regular rolling blackouts. Those blackouts are a choice and the choice you make when you vote for Newsom and other Democrats. Many Californians are making a different choice by moving away. Hopefully they can all afford the gasoline they need to get out of California, end quote. That's a little bit smarmy there from the author. You know, they kind of got to get that last jab in there, but they bring up some good points. But also, I think it is good to push back a little bit, which is certain states, especially like California, where it is extremely sunny and they don't have the worst weather, they should be diversifying their portfolio. They should be increasing their amount of green energy so that they don't have to rely so much on these fossil fuels. But the only reason I say that is because eventually fossil fuels are going to run out. It's not even a, oh, this is for the environment perspective, while I do think we need to preserve the environment. But if you're just coming from a completely logical standpoint, eventually those resources, even though we're coming up with new technologies and new ways to extract them, eventually they will run out. They are finite. The sun is for our entire lifetimes. I mean, to be honest, two million years down the road, the sun may not be there. But for the most part, During our lifetimes, our children's lifetimes, our grandchildren's lifetimes, 
All of these resources, the wind will still be here as far as we're aware. Tidal energy will still be here unless something happens to the moon. So these states do need to start diversifying, but they don't need to do it to the point where they cripple themselves. And that's where I think the big issue is in California. So California really does offer an example of what happens when the government pushes too hard and the corporations, you know, they kind of they kind of push back and they they say, no, we're not going to take the blame on this one. This this letter that Valero vice president, uh, Mr. Falkwarno sent was, you know, a great example of the corporation saying, no, we're not going to put up with your your slander, your your baloney. And of course, to close it all out, to end on a positive note, we have our daily delight This one comes from the animal rescue site. Rejected sheep comes running when she sees the dog who raised her. So Boo the sheep was left out of her herd after being raised by her mom for a little bit. Her brothers and sisters kicked her out. She was a lonely little girl. But she made a new friend, and this friend was a dog named Max. And, you know, Max kind of took on a a pseudo-mothership kind of role. She, she led Boo around and made sure that she was protected. Quote, a video shared on TikTok, Olivia explained that Max was incredibly careful around Boo and mothered her wonderfully. She said, quote, even for a high-energy dog, Max was so gentle with fragile little Boo. She added that the little lamb learned to play and explore outside with Max right by her side. The dog never let her out of her sight, end quote. And these, you know, these are the two cutest little little guys. They're a, a match made in heaven. Uh, and the videos, you know, they, they make me really happy when I watch them. And if you want to see any of the cute videos from this article, or if you want to read any of the articles from today's podcast, they'll be linked in the description below the like and subscribe button. And there's a new edition down there as well. Someone was asking about it in the comments My Twitter handle is also there. If you want to go there to get quick, convenient news so you don't have to listen to this entire podcast, it's also not always the same articles. It just, I'm trying to make it a little bit more convenient and easy for people to just get a a quick daily piece of information that, you know, may be important. All right. With all that said, there's only one more thing to say. Stay safe. Don't die.